Good morning. Happy to see you all here today. Um, I'm Sheree Davis, and I get to read the scripture today, so please stand for the reading of the word. We're reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and then 30. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We are not in Matthew this morning. We'll be actually all over the place this morning, so get ready, buckle your seatbelts. Now, whether we like it or not, we are inhabitants of what has been called the information age. And now, even in the last maybe 10 or 20 years, we are uh, part of what's called the attention economy. Have you heard that phrase before? The attention economy? Well, if you haven't heard it, welcome. You're in it. You're part of it. Um, and it's this basic idea that there are multiple, multi-billion, even trillion-dollar corporations that compete, and they're not, they're not competing to produce better products. They're competing to make money by capturing your attention. That's what it means to be part of an attention economy. Because the more attention from you and from me that they get the more money they make. Okay, this, this data is a few years old. It's from 2019, from an article. It said this, quote, The world creates 2.5 quintillion bytes of data each day. Now, that sounds like a foreign language, but think about quintillion, right? So you've got thousands, you've got millions, you've got billions, you've got trillions, you've got quadrillions, and then you've got quintillions. So it's one with 18 zeros behind it. So 2.5 with 18 zeros behind it, bytes of data each day. This was four years ago. Continuing on, about 90% of the world's data since the beginning of time has been created in just the past two years. And that was in 2019. So I don't know know where we're at with that now. Uh, The pace of data generation, this person goes on to say, is skyrocketing. Now here's a little snapshot of the amount of data being produced and shared and consumed on the internet every minute. This may be difficult to read. You can go search it out yourself online. But basically, going through a few of these, 18.8 million text messages are sent every minute. And that's not just by my kids. That's, that's, the, whole, <laughs> that's the whole world, okay? Um, 2.4 million Google searches per minute. 
694,000 hours of video watched on YouTube in one minute. Um, on the platform formerly known as Twitter, 347,000 plus tweets, 10.4 million viewing minutes on Instagram. This one's funny. 11,035 fake accounts are removed from Facebook every minute. 6.3 Zoom, uh, 6.3 million Zoom meeting minutes, 6.94 million emojis sent every minute, and 22, this is a new one, 22,831 visits to chat GPT. This is artificial intelligence, and a lot of those are students getting papers written for them. Every single minute produces... Uh, provides, excuse me, the information age with a massive amount of data, and much of that data is data about you and me. Okay, because there's so much data out there, and a lot of that data includes your personal information, right? So your, your age, your gender, your race, your location, and your behavioral data. So uh, your social media habits, your interests, the things you're shopping for, your purchasing history, this all goes into this a data repository called the internet, and companies have figured out how to get the information that they think you really need right in front of you so that they can make money off of you. Okay, every single one of you has a logarithm or an algorithm that computes what needs to be right in front of you at the moment. So how do they do this, right? They get you to click and like and search and buy as much as possible, create as much data as possible, and then they use that data to, to build a consumer profile for you and then sell that profile to the highest bidder, who then will have the opportunity to strategically place their products in front of you for their perusal and purchase. Isn't it crazy how when you're, shop, when you're looking online, all these products that you have just been talking about happen to pop up? You might say that the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s and 1900s transformed us from mainly a society of producers to a society of consumers. And I think the argument could be made that the information revolution has turned us from consumers into consuming machines. And even more than that, into products ourselves who can be bought and sold to the highest bidder. In an attention economy, the more time you spend online, the more time especially you spend on social media, the more of a product you become. The more of a product your attention becomes. It's food for thought, but this actually is not my main point for this morning. The bigger point I want to make this morning is that we have more information than ever. But do we have more knowledge? Do we have more understanding? Have we grown in wisdom? And I would argue the answer to each of these questions is a resounding no. In fact, the, the attention economy has largely duped us into trading wisdom for information. And as a result, it's reduced our attention span. And this, is, this has been proven scientifically. The average American attention span is shorter than that of a goldfish. Okay, now, does, does all that... <laughs> I'm not joking. Does all that make you anxious? Does all that make you anxious, thinking about that? 
Perhaps it should, and my, I'm not trying to make anybody anxious this morning. I don't want you to be anxious. But I want us to recognize that the information, has, the information age has not bought us and brought us what we truly desire. And I think that what we truly desire is peace. Anybody desire peace? But instead, all the signs, all the signs of our age point to the fact that we're living in a worldwide crisis of anxiety. Because pure data, pure information doesn't help us to live well. It will not help us to live rightly or to make the kinds of decisions that will lead to peace in our lives. Data does not help you to become the kind of person who can know the will of God, walk in wisdom, and enjoy peace. Instead, we're often left to the mercy of the market. We're hungry, hungry for guidance and unsure of what to do. In fact, I would say we own anxiety, but we lack wisdom. Has anybody ever experienced decision fatigue? Think of, think of all the decisions you have to make in a day, right? Financial decisions, work decisions, if you're, if you're an employer or a manager, even more work decisions because you have to make decisions for people under you and about people under you. You have to make relational decisions each day. You have to make decisions about what will come out of your mouth and what you'll keep inside, right? You have to make food decisions. What am I going to eat today? Spending decisions. Where's my money going to go? One recent study estimates that the average person makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. 35,000 decisions each day. 22, or 227 of those daily choices are based on food alone. Think about that for a second. One, one meme I read, it was funny this week, said, if you ever need to defeat me, like if you're my arch enemy and you need to defeat me, just give me two very similar options and unlimited internet access. And basically, I will freeze. I will not be able to make it. Will not be able to get past this. And we, you know, we think of somebody like Homer Simpson at the nuclear power plant trying to figure out which button to push. Too many options, right? If the sheer number of choices and the sheer amount of decisions you are faced with daily is not enough to overwhelm, sure what is. And this is why we all want guidance. We want answers. We, we want to know how to make the right decisions, how to succeed in life. And if we're followers of Jesus, we add to that that not only do we want to know how to make the right decisions and how to succeed, but we also want to obey God. We want to know what God wants us to do or what Jesus would do if he were in our shoes. How do we make the decisions that God wants us to make? And if we could answer these questions, if we could find guidance, could we eventually trade in anxiety for peace. In other words, if we had wisdom, perhaps we could begin to taste peace in our lives. And I would, I would put forth to you that wisdom and anxiety live in inverse proportion to one another. The more anxiety you have, the less wisdom you have. The more wisdom you have, the less anxiety but maybe you have this thing where you get older, but you just never get wiser. Does that describe your life? Does that sound like a good life plan to you? We're not going to find wisdom in the places like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or 
Wikipedia or Reddit or Fox News or MSNBC. These are not the places that we're going to find wisdom, even though the world would point us to those places for wisdom. As the Apostle Paul pointed out nearly two millennia ago in 1 Corinthians 1, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. We're inundated with all of this counterfeit wisdom, and we must stop looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. But the good news is, here's good news. The good news is that wisdom wants to be found. And pursuing wisdom comes with great reward. Listen to this hymn to wisdom. This is from Proverbs chapter 8 in the Old Testament. Does not wisdom call? Doesn't understanding raise her voice, calling out to us to listen to her, to learn? Hear, for I will speak. Wisdom will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. And now, O sons, O children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And and during this Advent season, as Andrew mentioned a moment ago, and as he preached so eloquently on last week, we are looking at this Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which reminds us of these titles of Christ taken from the Old Testament. And today's stanza is perfect for such a time as this. And I have to apologize because I'm not sure where I got these words, but they're different than the ones we sang this morning. So here's a stanza of this, of this hymn. And I just think the second line was changed. So come thou wisdom from on high, who orderest all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in her ways to go. And from these words, let's consider how Jesus, the wisdom of God, provides us freedom from anxiety as we look to God's wisdom, as we trust in God's wisdom, as we learn from God's wisdom, and as we walk in God's wisdom. These are the three main themes we'll look at today. So we begin by looking to God's wisdom, that first line of the stanza, Come thou wisdom, from on high. But what is wisdom? There are three biblical words, especially in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, for intellectual virtue. And the words are knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. If, if you think about these words, you can, you can pretty quickly see that of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, wisdom is the fullest. And, and what I mean by that is that wisdom encompasses and incorporates and includes the other two. You can't have wisdom unless you have knowledge and understanding. You can have knowledge without understanding and wisdom. You can have knowledge and understanding but not have wisdom. But you cannot have wisdom if you do not have the other two. And unlike knowledge, wisdom wisdom has a practical outworking to it. It's an ability to discern and take the correct course of action. And on a human level, wisdom can be understood as the skill of living in God's world. The skill of living in God's world. We desire wisdom. We we desire that, right? We want to know how to live in this world in the right way. But we're not just looking for any old wisdom. Our souls cry out for, for, as the hymn says, wisdom from on high. And that wisdom can only come from one source, as Romans 16 says, the only wise God. He is the only wise God, and He is wise. 
Now, now as finite, limited humans, we must trade in, get this, we must trade in our youth to gain wisdom. Does that make sense? We trade in our youth for wisdom. To me, that sounds like a good plan. Because oftentimes we get older, but just never wiser. Or um, rarely we're young and wise, but those two don't often go together. Fools, what fools will do is they will spend their youth seeking to preserve their youth and not gain wisdom. Many people, unfortunately, have neither youth nor wisdom. But God is not human. God is eternally, fully, completely wise. And his wisdom is not like our wisdom. Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as we see in as Cherie read in 1 Corinthians this morning, God's wisdom actually turns all that we think we know about wisdom upside down. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18 to 20. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of of the world. Compared to the wisdom of the world, God's wisdom seems upside down, and the embodiment, the complete embodiment of God's wisdom is found only in Jesus. So we go back for a moment to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, and, and there's an ancient wisdom text here in chapter 8 that's often been called a hymn to wisdom or, or wisdom's autobiography, and this is another part of it. I read some earlier. Speaking Wisdom is speaking here, and it says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of, of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, and when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And it's this beautiful picture of wisdom being there personally with God and, and God creating the world through wisdom and by wisdom. And then we get to the New Testament. And at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we should be blown away when we read this. If we have Proverbs 8 in mind, we should be blown away when the Apostle John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Who was with God in the beginning? Wisdom, right? And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, just like they were with wisdom. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, John is telling us that Jesus is the embodied, incarnate wisdom of God, the one by whom and through whom God made the universe, as Paul writes in Colossians 1. He is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's a glorious truth. In Christ, 
we have the very wisdom of God. Colossians 2, God's mystery is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And because of him, 1 Corinthians 1.30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we pray, come thou wisdom from on high. And he has come. Christ has come. Wisdom has come to us in the form of a baby. Wisdom has come to us as Emmanuel, God with us. So wisdom has come, and because that, we can trust in God's wisdom. The second stanza, who orderest all things mightily. And the basic idea is that God governs the world by his wisdom. Proverbs tells us that no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. God is the smartest person in the universe. He's the wisest person in the universe. And just as God created the world in wisdom, everything he does is wise. All of his plans, all of his decrees are carried out by his wisdom. So we can say that that God does everything good and right, and everything he does is good and right because it is wise. And one of the easiest things for us to do as humans is to disagree with what God has done. Disagree with his plan for our life. The way that he seems to manage or mismanage the world. We often think we could do it better. But if God has perfect knowledge, if he has perfect wisdom, then the litmus test of God's work is not if we agree with him, It's not if we enjoy what he's done or understand what he's done. Rather, everything that God does is good and right and wise, regardless of our perspective, regardless of our opinions. And because of that, we can trust that everything God does is both good and wise. If God created the world, if he's ordered all of creation, eternity, and time perfectly according to his wisdom. And the first step of wisdom for us is to trust in God's perfect plans. And so trusting in God's perfect plans, we can then learn from God's wisdom. If we trust his wisdom, we can learn from his wisdom. The third stanza of the hymn this morning, to us the path of knowledge show. And God's wisdom is most completely most beautifully, most wonderfully displayed in the gospel. God has shown us the path of knowledge. He's shown us the way of wisdom. It's most clearly seen in the gospel. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 21. Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, in his 
wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, God has made the path of wisdom look like humility. And we see that in the incarnation, Jesus becoming a baby. The path of wisdom looks like sacrifice, and we see that on the cross as at the crucifixion when, when the man, Jesus Christ, gives up his life. And we see humility and sacrifice before the way of wisdom ever looks like glory, which we see in the resurrection. So do you desire wisdom? Do you desire to have wisdom? Do you desire to walk in wisdom? Then you must look to the gospel because that is where God's wisdom lies in a manger, eventually hangs on a cross before leaving an empty tomb. We want to walk in wisdom. We have to look at the gospel and the humble wisdom first of the incarnation. God tells us that his wisdom is displayed as an impoverished teenage virgin lays her newborn boy in a stock trough. The wisdom of God did not come to us in power, did not come to us in pomp, but in a manger. The infant Jesus shows us the kind of humility inherent and essential in God's wisdom, the kind of humility we must adopt if we desire wisdom. So another hymn that Paul gives to us in Philippians chapter 2, and this was most likely an ancient hymn, He says this in verse 5, have this mind, in other words, have this kind of wisdom among yourselves, this kind of thinking and doing. Have this kind of mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, in Jesus Wisdom looks like humble identification with those who do not deserve it. But then we have the sacrificial wisdom of the crucifixion. And Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And according to the wise plan of God, the Son of Man, or excuse me, the Son of God himself gave up his life for his people. So we continue in Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, what does wisdom look like in Christ? In Jesus, wisdom looks like a life of sacrificial obedience to the Father. And then we have the glorious wisdom of the resurrection, because it was not until Jesus had humbled himself. And then not until he had sacrificially given his own life for us that he was exalted. So we continue on in Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in Jesus, wisdom does not look like glory first, but glory on the other side of humility and sacrifice. And in the end, God gets the glory. So how do we then walk in God's wisdom? This is the last stanza of our hymn today. And teach us in her ways to go. It's only when we look to Christ 
when we trust in Christ, when we learn from Christ, that we will be able to walk in the ways of Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. And so let's look to wisdom, His wisdom, as He humbly becomes one of us, identifies with us, walks with us. And let's trust Christ's wisdom is perfect. His wisdom is perfect. And everything that comes into your life is by His design to help you to trust Him more, to help you to be more humble, to help you to be more wise, to give you the very mind of Christ for your good and for His glory. So let's learn from Him how to live sacrificial lives of humility. Let's follow Him, praying along the way with the saints throughout the ages Come thou wisdom from on high, who orderest all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. Let's pray. Father, you alone are the only wise God. You have created this world according to your wisdom. You govern this world according to your wisdom. And we confess that we do not have the wisdom that we desire, no matter how wise we think ourselves to be. And so we lean on your grace to open our minds and our eyes to see what wisdom truly is in Jesus Christ. As we contemplate the baby born, the God born as a child, laid in a manger, worshipped by wise men and shepherds, and angels. We consider your humility, your sacrifice, the way of wisdom that you have laid down for us that does not make sense to this world. We pray, God, that you would give us strength, you would give us insight, that you would give us hope, and fully that you would give us peace as we follow Jesus in the way of wisdom. pray this in your name.